Well, no matter how you were raised, I think we all have these weird connections back to our past. And if you think back to your childhood, there's probably things that your parents did or your parents said, and, and you made a mental note. When I'm your age, I will not do that. I, I will do it differently, you know? And, and as kids, we just have this moment. I remember for me, one of those things. We'd be in a, 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 a car trip and we'd be going somewhere and, and we'd ask the inevitable question. The kids ask in the backseat, how much longer? You know, well, are we there yet? Will we be there? When? And, and I remember my dad, without skipping a beat, had a go-to answer, 15 minutes. Now, it didn't matter if you had just started the car trip, if you were 15 minutes away, that was always his answer. I remember how much it annoyed me as a kid. You know, like, Dad, could you, could you please just give us a real answer to this question? And he never would. It was always 15 minutes, no matter what, and I just remember being super annoyed by that. Now, I, I remember as a kid going, I'm, I'm not gonna be that. Not too long ago, we were driving, and uh, I have five kids in the back seat, and kept asking the question, over and over and over. And finally, deep from somewhere in the recesses of my mind, the answer came, 15 minutes. And I went, oh no, it's happening. I've become him. Anyone else have this happen in their life? Thank you, it's not just me. And I realized I'm connected to him even if I don't want it. I, I can't escape it and there's just something about it. And, and maybe you've had that as well as you've gotten older. You've realized these things from your childhood that you vowed you would not do or would be different, are as different as you thought they would be. There's other things from the past that maybe surprise us a little bit. Now, you, you might be surprised to know I haven't always been the giant of a man you see before you today. That's a joke. Uh, so. <laughs> When I was growing up, I was a late bloomer, and I remember in seventh grade, a vivid memory in PE class that uh, truthfully was very painful, where we all were getting weighed in PE class for whatever reason, and the coach would call out our weight, and I was the only kid under 100 pounds. And I remember realizing, oh, I'm small, and then got made fun of for that. And, and as a seventh grade, that was just a, a memory locked in my brain of, of this 100-pound mark. Now, when we had our first kid, uh, we didn't know, you know how, how big you know, the, the baby would be, and I thought, well, if I, I was a late bloomer, probably gonna create small kids, and, and, and so uh, our, our first is born at nine pounds, eight ounces, which if you know, is not a small baby. And, and so I'm like, what is going on? And then we took him for his checkup, and they show you the little chart of like, all right, they're on track to be this tall and all this, and she's like, yeah, he'll probably be about 6'4". Six, 6'4", four. Six, four. What? I'm like, I don't make 6'4 kids. What do you mean 6'4? She's like, yeah, that's the trajectory if he stays on. And I'm like, well, he's gonna drop off that trajectory soon. It's, fast forward 10 years, still going. And, and he's still this giant of a kid. And you're like, what is going on? And here's what's remarkable. He's in fourth grade now, just hit the 100 pound mark. And I'm a little bit confused by this. Like, how are we, I don't understand how this is connected, but we just have this thing. And so we've been in a grounded series looking at different aspects of creation. Today, we're going to look at roots. And in particular, those who have come before us, this concept of being grounded deep into the soil. What has gone before us that we now stand on today? We see this in creation throughout different roots, and we're gonna explore this today. Now, I wanna begin with a poem like we've done each week of this this series, and last week, Pastor Bob shared a message, did an incredible job, but he shared his own poem. He wrote his own poem, if you were here, which I kind of think is showing off a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't ask him to do that. He's just overachieving, you know, and so I said, that's great. 
I've got other things to do. I'm not writing my own poem. So I don't have my own poem, but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm fine not being as cool as Pastor Bob is. Uh, but I'm gonna read uh, some song lyrics, actually, so I think that makes it a little cooler, uh, from the band Imagine Dragons. This is from a song called Roots. It says, don't throw stones at me. Don't tell anybody. Trouble finds me. All the noise of this has made me lose my belief. I'm going back to my roots. Another day, another door, another high, another low, rock bottom, rock bottom, rock bottom. I'm going back to my roots. Had to lose my way to know which road to take. Trouble found me, all I look forward, washed away by a wave. I'm going back to my roots. Let's pray together. God, as we go back to our roots today, as we look at those who have gone before, would you give us the ability to see you, to experience you, to find you, that you are indeed present with us, you are close to us. Would you give us eyes to see you in a new way we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. We're gonna be in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews is in the New Testament. I'll give you some time to get there. If you've got a physical Bible with you, that's awesome. I encourage you to get that out. If you have a Bible app on a phone, I encourage you to get that out as well. We're continuing this series that we've been in called Grounded, and I wanna welcome you uh, wherever you are watching this, whether you're at one of our campuses in person or you're watching or listening online through a podcast or, or some other method. Uh, we're so glad that you're a part of it. My name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we're a church about giving giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. And, and so I wanna welcome you to Abundant Life. We're so glad that you're here. And wherever you're at on this journey, we're asking a question that I think everybody asks, whether you are new to the faith, you're exploring this, you, someone drags you here today and you're like, I don't know what's going on, or you've been doing this as long as you can remember. The question is, where is God? This is a question you ask because you might be convinced right now you know the answer, but then something might happen and you begin to doubt it, you begin to wonder. And we're gonna see why that often happens today as we explore uh, this passage. But we're asking the question, where is God? Now, we're in week eight of this series. We're gonna conclude it next week. Uh, week nine will be the last week of this series, so I encourage you to, to come back so you see the, the completion of this series. And like we've been doing each week, I want you guys to ask questions. You guys have done an incredible job of this all throughout this series. Uh, we're using a resource called Slido. So you can go online, you get Slido. Uh, you can enter the, the word grounded, and you can ask questions, you can vote for questions you want, and then uh, midway through this week, uh, I'll film a video responding to those, and we'll post it on Facebook. Encourage you guys to interact with us that way. While we set up our passage today, I wanna read something that the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15. Here's what he said. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. I don't know what happens when you read the scriptures. I don't know what reaction it creates in you, what, what it stirs up in you. But what Paul says is that it should create a sense of hope. That as you read it, you learn from how God has gone before, how God has always been faithful, and we walk away with a renewed hope. Now, if you've got your journals today, go ahead and get those out and go to week eight, and you'll see a spot to take notes like we do every week. And I encourage you to write a few things down. Here's what I would encourage you to write down first. That your future faith grows from roots in the past. Now, this may not seem like a great idea to you or an encouraging idea, uh, but whatever God wants to do next in your life, now that would be different for all of us, but whatever is next, your future faith, what God is ready to do, he anticipates to do, that is going to grow from roots in the 
past, both your past and the past of what God has already been doing. And the more you understand roots, the the more your roots are developed, the, the better equipped you are to see what God wants to do in your midst. And we're gonna try to connect these two ideas together. So if you're with me in Hebrews chapter 11, we'll begin reading in verse one. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, the author of Hebrews begins with an interesting idea. That faith is this idea of looking ahead, you know, things that you don't yet see, you don't, not, you don't yet know, uh, but we have this idea of faith in the future. But then he talks about the ancients and immediately connects that, that what is yet to come goes back to the ancients, and that may seem a little strange to us. Because as Americans, we're not great with history. That's not one of our strong suits. Uh, if you compare our country with countries around the world, we are a baby country. We're, we're much younger than most other countries around the world, which gives us a, a little bit of a skewed view uh, when it comes to time, when it comes to those who have gone before. I remember not too long ago, I was uh, getting a, a tour in Seattle, the underground city of Seattle. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Very cool. I love viewing uh, historical tours like this. And before you go on the tour, they gathered everyone together in this room, and, and they had a couple of the tour guys just asking questions to people. One of the questions they asked was weirdly specific. Uh, they said, are, are anybody here, is anybody here today uh, from Europe? And I thought, why does that matter? Why are you asking you know, people from Europe? But I looked around and a number of people raised their hands. And then they said this. They said, oh, you're in for a treat today. Some of the things that you're gonna see are more than 100 years old. And I thought, that's a really funny joke if you're from Europe and everything is much older than that. But I realized, oh yeah, for us, that's really old. If you travel, you realize that's not really old. One time I was in uh, Israel and Palestine on a tour and, and we were going around seeing different things and our guide uh, was looking out and he said, hey, you see that thing next to the new building? And then he starts talking about this thing. And I'm like, I have no idea what he's talking about. What, what is he looking at? And he kept going, kept going and I kind of sheepishly raised my hand and said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not sure what you're looking, what are, you, what are you pointing at? And he said, that thing right to the left of the new building. I, I don't know, I, don't, I, I still, I'm missing what you're talking about. That thing right there, he's like, you see the new building? I was like, no. He's like, right there, that building, it's like 400 years old, the new one, right there. <laughs> so did you say 400 years old? He goes, well, it's not thousands of years old. Okay, you have a point there, but I'm going, that to an American is not a new building. You know what I mean? Like, that's older than our country. What do you mean the new building over there? And I just remember thinking, this is something, it's a little bit of a disconnect for us. We're not naturally great at this, especially when compared to other cultures. Now, let me illustrate this one more way, and just to get us all primed for how we need to dial into this conversation. If you would, uh, wherever you are, please stand up. Um, we're gonna do a little crowd interaction. If you're watching online, you can play along too. And, and, and you know, if you're driving, please don't do this. But uh, if you're at a computer, you can play along with us. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him your deepest, darkest secret. Just kidding, it's a joke, it's a joke. See if you're listening, all right. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to remain standing to remain standing if you can give the first and last name of all four of your grandparents, okay? First and last name, all four of your grandparents, remain standing. If not, please sit down. Okay, we're losing a few. Some of you, you had to get the brains going a little bit. You're having to, to think, okay? Now remain standing if you can name at least two of your great-grandparents, first name, last name, at least two. If not, please sit down. 
Ooh, they're dropping like flies. Okay. Now, remain standing if you can name at least four of your great-grandparents, first name, last name, remain standing. If not, please sit down. I don't know where you are, but we only have a handful left. So let's please applaud those who know their roots. Well done. You guys can have a seat. Now here's the reality, I would not do well in this game. I don't know very far back. And, and what you realize, this is a cultural thing. If you go to some other cultures, you'll realize they can go really far back telling you the names because these are stories that they know. These are people that, that are, are very connected. And some cultures may even have a, a, a family tree on the wall in the living room, and that might be totally normal. For a lot of us, this is a little bit strange, which is why we have resources. We pay people to help us with this because we know we're not good at it. Like, like Ancestry.com, why does this exist? Because we don't know who came before us. Like, hey, tell me, who, who were, you know, came before? I'm not sure of it. It's not inherently something that we're good at, so we have to have others come in and help us out. But looking back helps us to look forward. Now, the point of this is not to create nostalgia and go, oh, remember the good old days? Remember how things used to be? That's not the point. The point is to realize what is God wanting to do now? What is God wanting to do next? And the more we understand what God has previously done, the more we can get set up to see what God wants to do next. Now, I, I wanna share something with you today that maybe no one has ever told you in your whole life, and this might be a little disheartening, and maybe this is gonna ruin your day, but as your pastor, I feel a responsibility to the truth, okay? And so I'm gonna share something with you that maybe you've never seen before, but, but here we go, uh, if you will allow me. Here's the idea. You aren't God's first attempt at a relationship. Did you know that? I don't know if you realize that, but um, God, he's been doing this for a while, okay? And so you may think, well, this is my first attempt at following God, that's awesome. But you're not God's first attempt at having a relationship. And so what you realize is God has been doing this for a really long time. And if we act as if we're the only ones that have ever experienced God, you will miss out on a lot of what God has already done that might give us an indicator of what God is wanting to do next, of what God is eager to do in our life. Now, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. We're gonna go to verse 32. And so, again, this is an incredible chapter. I don't have time to go through every verse, but I wanna show you a list of names uh, that, that the author is gonna record in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 32. It says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, uh, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Woo! God has been doing some stuff. I mean, that is an amazing list. These are the heroes of the faith. We go, yes, look at what God did. If you ever read through the Old Testament, you've read those stories, you're like, that's awesome. I want God to do that in my life. We enjoy this list. But I want you to notice a phrase in there that describes this whole group of people. The phrase is, they gained what was promised. That might not seem like a major phrase, but that's what defines that first list of people. They gained what was promised. Now, why is that important? 
We, we might not think that it's any big deal of, of the promise being gained, uh, but I would suggest to you that a promise not gained yet or not yet fulfilled is very different than a promise that has been gained. Now, let me illustrate this. A number of years ago, uh, Michelle and I and my wife, we were uh, in our bedroom and she was reorganizing something uh, underneath our bed and she grabbed something and she was holding it in her hand and she was staring at it. And so I was curious and uh, began to go, what is that? And, and I look in her hand and she's holding a ring. And she looks at this ring and she says, Jeremy, whose ring is this? Well, I don't know. Looks like a girl's ring. It's probably, probably your ring. She's like, it's not my ring. Whose ring is this? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't have an answer for that. Now, I know I've got nothing to hide, but I also know this doesn't look good, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking at her, and I'm like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. And so I decided I was going to make a bold promise in this moment. So here's the promise I made to my wife. Michelle, I promise you there is a great answer to this question. I just don't know it. Right? There's a great answer to whose ring this is. I just don't know it. And so we, we have this, this moment where we kind of awkwardly just look at each other and we're like, well, what now? How, how do we you know, navigate? How do we figure this out? And so we begin to rack our brains. Would it make sense? Was anybody else, you know, ring that, that could be up here, any good reason for it? And, and so as we're talking, I said, hey, you know what? Didn't you have the life group girls up here the other night when we had life group, you, we split up and you brought the girls in our bedroom. You guys were, were up here talking. And she goes, oh, that's true. And I said, oh, that makes sense. It's one of the life group girls. And I said, just, just you know, ask, figure out which, which of the girls. So she sends out a group text to each of the girls uh, and, and takes a picture of the ring and says, hey, I found this ring underneath our bed. Is it any of yours? <laughs> to which they all reply, no, 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 no. Then start replying, what happened? What did he do? What's going on? And I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Time out, slow down. Wait, this was a bad idea. We should not have got all the life group girls in on this conversation at the same time. So now things have gotten worse for me. Um, not only do we not know the answer of whose ring this is, but now all the life group girls think that I have done something horribly wrong to my wife. And so I'm like, look, it's not that there's, there. honey, I promise you, there is a great answer to this question. I just don't know it. Now we couldn't figure it out that night. So the next day, Michelle takes the ring, puts it on our counter uh, downstairs, uh, just you know, so that we can see it and, and be aware of this conversation. <laughs> so this thing becomes like a bad omen over our household. And every time I walk by, I'm reminded of, we've got a problem, you know, like until we answer this. And I'll be honest, life wasn't great, you know, for the next few days uh, while we were trying to figure this out. And this thing is just looming over us, what's going on? And I have to keep making this promise to my wife. I promise you there's a great answer to this question. Now, uh, after a few days of this, we're not figuring anything out. Things are not good. Uh, my, my mom comes over and she's feeling for me. I mean, my mom, she believes me, but she knows this is a little bit tense. So she comes to my aid as only a mother can. And I hear her in the other room having a conversation with Michelle. And she says, Michelle, this is your ring. You just forgot about it. I have seen you wear this ring. <laughs> oh, you gotta love moms, right? I mean, she just is like gunning for it. She just believes in me, you know? And, Michelle's like, it is not my ring. I've never worn this ring. And so, you know, I was like, thanks, Mom. Appreciate the, the support, but it doesn't help. And so day after day after day of this goes by, and, and Michelle and I get to this place where she's like, look, 
I trust you. You've never given me a reason not to trust you, but you know this doesn't look good, right? And I'm like, I get it, totally. I've got a thing to hide, but yeah, this doesn't look good either. And, and so here's the deal. If you wanna have a really dynamic prayer life, have your wife find someone else's ring in your house, okay? It will, it will draw you to your knees like never before. I am praying, going, God, please, I need a favor. I need you to help me figure out whose ring is this? Because until we get an answer to this, things are not good in my household. I need an answer to this question. And day after day after day goes by. About two weeks go by of this. And again, things are not great. Uh, we're, 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 you know, putting everything together. We're, we're still going strong, but, but it's just like this weird thing. And finally, about uh, two weeks from the, the date of the discovery, uh, we have a cleaning company that comes by every couple of weeks. And one of the ladies walks into our house, sees the ring on the counter, and she goes, oh, you found my ring. I've been looking everywhere for this. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and the promise was gained, right? Michelle gained what was promised in that moment. There was a great answer. She was in our room without me, and that's why the <laughs> ring was there. There's a great explanation for it. And I will tell you, everything changed the moment that promise was gained. And so a promise without it being gained is very different. And so what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that sometimes there are people who get to gain what God has promised. And when that is you, there is nothing quite like it. If you have prayed a prayer and you've been fervently praying, God, please show up, and then God does something unbelievable, there's nothing like it. Maybe you're praying on God, finances are tight, we wanna be generous, we wanna trust you with our money, but we just don't know how to make this work. And then all of a sudden your boss calls you in, you get a promotion at work. And you're like, that was amazing. Thank you, God, for showing up in the midst of that. Or you've been in the dating scene for way too long and you're over it. And you're like, I just wanna find the one. You pray about it, you pray about it. You suddenly go on that date that's different than all the other dates. And you go, thank you, God, this is the one. You find the person you're gonna marry. Maybe you're trying to start a family and you're pleading, you're going, God, please, we want to get pregnant, we want to get pregnant, and then suddenly you find out it's going to happen, and you're going to have a child. See, there's nothing quite like the favor of God, and many of us can tell stories of this. I can tell you stories of things that I just went, God, you are so good. Thank you for how you've showed up. Thank you for going before me. Thank you for working things out that I could never do on my own. Man, is that amazing, and I wish that we could just close the message here, we could close in prayer, we could all be done, and it would be great. But I want you to go back to Hebrews 11. I want you to notice the very same verse, the second part of the verse, verse 35. It says, there were others. Now, if you like to notate, mark up your Bible, I'd encourage you, those three words, there were others, highlight those, underline those, circle those. That is a significant shift in the passage. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. This is not the list of fun stories to read 
throughout the Bible. This is not the list of fun stories to go, yeah, yay, God. This is the story that you go, God, where were you? What happened? What broke? Why weren't you there for them? And this is the story that, truthfully, many of us don't know what to do with. We just go, I'm not sure what happens in our faith. Now, what this illustrates is that we have a formula that we use, and, and it's not just us. It's, in fact, I would say the majority of American Christianity uses this formula, and I've watched this formula play out, and the formula looks a little bit like this. Let's say that your life is going the way you want it to go. Things are playing out the way you want. You feel like God is answering your prayers. You have the results that you wanted. Here's what it feels like, that if you have results, God is with me and or I'm doing my part, right? This is how we feel. Hey, Things are going great. Look, I've got this going on and that going on. God is with me. I'm not asking that question. I know exactly where God is. He's with me. And you can feel so good about what you're doing. I'm dialed in. My faith is dialed in. Everything is is clicking. This is amazing. And you might resonate with the first group of people in Hebrews 11. Yes, the favor of God, the results, it's all great. But what happens if that's not your case? What happens if you're like, well, I... I don't feel like there are results in my life. I have no results to show for it. What do you conclude then? Well, you conclude the opposite. God isn't with me and or I'm not doing enough. Now, this is where a lot of people get really messed up in their faith. This is where a lot of people walk away from God. They conclude, well, I tried, didn't work out. I, I didn't have the same results that everyone else got. And so clearly God wasn't actually with me or I'm not doing enough. Now, it's the second part that I'm not doing enough. You can kill yourself over this. You can try, I'm gonna pray more. I'm gonna read my Bible more. I'm gonna attend more church services. I'm gonna do more good things. I'm gonna do less bad things. And you can keep going and going and going and exhaust yourself in the attempt to do enough. Enough for what? Enough to get the results. And so I talk to people all the time in this situation. I don't know what's going on. Why, why isn't God with me? And I'll say, well, what made you conclude he wasn't? Well, I don't have any results. Things aren't going the way. I'm not getting answers to my prayer. And again, this is the way we view life. And for a lot of us, this is a system that we go off of. Now, the, the, this works as long as you feel like you're in this place most of the time. If most of the time you feel here, you can handle a, a season or two of this because you can go right back to that. But what happens when it's not just a season? When it feels like this becomes your story or this you know, is a significant amount of your life, then what? Is the only answer to conclude that God just didn't care about you like he cared about everyone else and you gotta walk away from your faith? No, it means we need to understand our roots. We need to have a different perspective of where God is that we don't get from just our story alone. For example, if you go through the book of Job in the Old Testament, what you find is that Job begins here. He's got all the results. Job's life is amazing. People envy him. They look up to him. They're going, oh, Job, you've got it all. But then, uh, in a very bizarre interchange, uh, God allows Satan to take it all from him, and he goes from here to here pretty dramatically, if you read the story of Job. And, and then Job's going, what happened? What's going on? You know what everyone says to Job? All of his friends turn on him. God isn't with you. You're not doing enough. What'd you do, Job? You made God mad. What's, what's going on? And you hear in the story of Job the same formula of, of this that we still operate with today. Oh, if I don't have the results, something's wrong. And everybody tells Job, what did you do wrong? You gotta get back to God. And, and Job is so confused by this going, what happened? And you see that same formula going on today. 
Now, here's what I would tell you. Uh, With this category, most Christianity today doesn't know what to do with this, especially in America. We don't know what to do with this. So what we end up doing is is doubling down on the promises uh, when someone doesn't have the results. You know, it's like, oh, what's going on? God's not answering your prayers? Uh, let's figure out, uh, that, that means something really good's coming, right? And we say these things that, that sound good, sound like encouraging, uh, but really what they're, they're an attempt to make it through this. For example, there's one popular pastor, I'll leave uh, his name anonymous, uh, but has a great way of describing how we often try to navigate through no results. Here's a statement I recently read. Every setback means you're one step closer to seeing the dream come to pass. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah, every setback, I just, this is a setback. That's all, I, I, I'm one step closer to results, right? Now here's the deal, this will build a church if you preach this, uh, this will sell books if you write this in a book. It's just not biblically accurate. And if you know our roots, if you know Hebrews 11, if you know the story of Job, you know that doesn't hold water. That's not accurate to what those who have come before us have experienced. I mean, tell the people in Hebrews 11, uh, you're one step closer to seeing the dream fulfilled when you're being sawed in two. Doesn't make sense when you go back to the actual text and go, it didn't work for them because they never gained what was promised. And so we might be so close to going, please just tell us this is true. And church, I'm here to tell you, it's not true. And, And for some of you, you might go, well, then I'm out. If God's not guaranteeing me results, then I'm out, I don't want anything to do with this. But here's, what, here's the good news. The outcomes of your life do not indicate whether or not God is with you. And when you begin to see this, to believe this, it frees you up to see what Jesus is truly doing in your midst. Here's the way I would say it. Roots support your faithfulness. They don't promise results. See, when you have a system of roots, what you realize is you will have the perspective to know that even with no results in your life or results very different than you envision, that Jesus is still with you. It supports your faithfulness. Roots do not promise you results. I'm just one step back away. No, that's not what roots offer you. And when you have this perspective, you are freed from this, this uh, addictive rush to have results, to, to feel like I've got to produce something in my life. Now, with that in place, let's be honest. How many of you would go, you know what? I, I feel like that other list in Hebrews 11. You, you may resonate with being destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. You go, yeah, my life feels like the others. I don't feel like the, 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 the heroes of the faith. I feel like those who got left behind, who got neglected, who got overlooked in this story. Now, if you read the list uh, of what they went through, thankfully most of us are not gonna go through those things. Uh, Most of us are not gonna have to make that decision for our faith. Clearly, around the world, there are people today uh, having to make that decision, in America, at least as of now, that's not a decision that most of us have to wrestle with. But there are other things that we could say uh, that would be a lack of results if you're a Christian, right? Because we have to have this, this, this idea that if I follow Jesus, certain things should just work out. I made a list. Well, what about those who had to foreclose on a home? You go, well, that doesn't make sense if I follow Jesus. Why would that not work out? Or maybe you had a business that failed. And he went, well, God, how, how can my business fail if, if I'm following you? That, that doesn't make sense. Or maybe you prayed about getting pregnant and you never did. 
And you say, God, I don't, I don't understand. Why, why is that not happening for us? Or you did get pregnant, and then you miscarried that child. And you said, God, this doesn't make any sense. Or you had the child, only to years later lose that child. And you go, God, how could this happen to me? This doesn't make any sense. Or maybe as your children grew up, they walked away from the faith. Or they walked away from you. And you go, I don't understand. If I'm following Jesus, why would this happen? You went into a marriage thinking it was gonna be great and your marriage fell apart. And your spouse left you or your spouse cheated on you. And you struggle to still love them as they've walked away from you. And you go, God, how can this happen if I'm following you? You've been betrayed by someone close to you. And now you have issues trusting anyone. Or maybe you look in your life and you just feel like you have nothing to show for following Jesus. No results, no favor, no gain. And yet you're trying to be faithful in the midst of that. And here's what I would tell you. If you resonate with that list, you go, this is my story. And you are still believing that Jesus is with you, and you are still living a life faithful to him, then the world is not worthy of you. you. You will stand out. People look at you and go, how could you still believe that with what is going on? And the reality is your life is gonna provide roots for future generations. Other people will look to you and go, yeah, but they were faithful. They still believe that Jesus was with them. They believe this was still true, even with what they went through. This is the book of Revelation. If you read the last book in the Bible, is the Apostle John writing to, to Christians who were losing everything. They're losing their businesses. They're losing their friends. They're losing their houses. They're losing financial everything. And they're going, is this worth it to follow Jesus if it's gonna cost us all of this? And John's message throughout the book is that it's still worth it, even when it costs you everything. See, this is the essence of what it means to be grounded in our faith, that even with no results to show for it, we can answer the question, where is God? We know that he's still here. And so if you keep reading in Hebrews 11, it closes with this idea in verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. That's it's not gonna sell books. That, that idea is not gonna grow huge churches. Wait, you, you mean I could follow God and not receive what had been promised? You know how quick we are as Christians to, to claim every promise God ever made in the Bible. It's a direct promise to me. Well, you know what the author of Hebrews says? That a lot of times people don't receive what had been promised. They never gained it. They just live in that place before. And for some of us, that might mean you're like, I'm not interested. If you're telling me I'm not guaranteed the results, I'm not interested. But notice what he says next. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. What could be better than not than this? That there's something better in all that you're going. I don't understand how is God working? What does together with us mean? You get this picture of a community of roots that as we all come together and we collectively share our stories of what God is doing, we get a perspective. And see, what we know that they didn't know, this list in Hebrews 11, what did they not know that we know? We know what God looks like. They didn't know. We know that God looks like Jesus, in particular, Jesus on the cross. That is what God really looks like. They didn't know that. Read the book of Job. Job didn't know 
that God looked like Jesus. Job had different ideas of that. He had not seen that. God had not revealed that yet. And so together with us, we can say, you know how we know that God was still with that list in Hebrews 11? Because in Jesus, we see a God who suffers with us. So God's not far away during suffering. God's not far away in the midst of your pain, watching apathetically. God is with us. In Jesus, we find a God who suffers with his creation. And so we can confidently know together, as Hebrews 12 says, a great cloud of witnesses, we can together come together and know that God is still good when you have no results to show for it, when you have nothing that makes sense. And so we learn to rely on those around us to get the perspective that we may not be able to get on our own. See, the reality is if you're a Christ follower today and you go, yeah, I've submitted my life to Jesus. The reason you probably have done that is because someone was influential in your life. Someone helped you make sense of Jesus. And you can go, yeah, my, my roots connect to them. And maybe it was a, a parent, a family member. Maybe it was someone totally different. You went, that person helped Jesus make sense to me. And the reality is you are being rooted to them and you can be that person for someone else. And they can create a root to you to go, oh, because of you, you helped Jesus make sense to me. I was able to experience him because of you. And this is why I would suggest them that's very countercultural, but I believe this to be true to my core, that you cannot be grounded in faith by yourself. It is so popular right now to say things like, oh, I love Jesus, but not the church. I love Jesus, but not Christianity. And it's catchy and it, it, it sounds like a great slogan, but the reality is without the community, without the church, you cannot be grounded in your faith because you need to be surrounded, not only those who have gone before you, but those who are around you with the same experience with God that can go, hey, how have you seen God? What, what's God doing in your life? And together, as we connect our roots together, we begin to see a better answer to the question, where is God? It's kind of like aspen trees. Have you ever seen aspen trees grow? They don't usually become these huge, massive trees. They, they grow together. And, and, and you'll never, I don't know, never, but I, I've never seen an aspen tree just by itself. I always find them in, uh, in these groupings. And the reason why, if you know how aspen trees grow, that their roots actually join together. And, and they, they technically become one organism. That, that all of these trees join together so tightly underneath that they become one tree collectively. And I think it's a beautiful picture of the church, of how we would lock up together and go, let's have our roots so intertwined that whether or not you have results, we know the answer to where God is because together we are experiencing God. It's a different way to live out your faith. And you may be thinking, well, Jeremy, who has time for this? Who, who I just want the results. I don't, I don't wanna worry about the roots. I, I wanna worry about results. I think it just begins by changing our perspective, by learning to value roots differently than we do. Now, roots are, are not the, the sexy part of our faith. We go, yeah, let's build some roots. But do you know that a lot of the food that we eat are, are actually roots? Uh, I was just thinking of a li you know, list of like carrots, onions, ginger, garlic, beets. There's different things. That you, I mean, potatoes are under the ground. Like lots of things that we eat come underneath. They're not even the, the stuff that you see above. And we've learned the value of that, but we still don't really value that. You know why? You ever seen roots? You ever really pondered them? For example, ginger. Ginger is something that a lot of us eat. You probably eat it often in a lot of different foods you eat. You ever stop to just look at ginger before? This is what ginger looks like. That is one ugly root, if I can just say so, right? 
It is a bizarre looking root. But here's what I know. Uh, this is very common. We know the, the benefits of this. We eat this often. And yet most of us are not gonna put this you know, on our countertop as just a conversation piece. Like, oh, look at the beautiful roots of this. No, it's a little bit weird to look at a ginger root. And yet we know, well, yeah, there's, there's value to that. Someone dug this up and washed it off and went, yeah, that's the, that's the good part. It wasn't the, the shoot coming up. It was the roots down below that have the value. And really, it's a choice that we have to make. And what are we going to put our emphasis on? I, I can illustrate it with this picture. If these were your two options, which one would you choose? To have a really developed root system and maybe everyone couldn't see it? Or to have a really shallow root system, but man, those results look pretty good. I would suggest that in our world of social media, what most of us are doing, whether we realize it or not, is doing our best to cultivate this. Spend a lot of time, I wanna make sure this looks really good and not as much time worrying about, God, what are you, what are you doing down deep? What, what, do you, what foundation are you laying that, that I have an understanding that, that no matter what comes, I've developed that root. See, I think this is what Jesus is inviting us to. Hey, who cares what other people see? Who cares if you have all the results you think you need? I'm going to create a root in you that will support what is coming next. And so here's my question for each of us as we close today. Do you have the roots to faithfully follow God for whatever is next. I don't know what Jesus wants to do in your life. We could pull each one of us today and it would be something different that Jesus is, is excited to do. If you were to say yes, what would Jesus do next? But what I do know is it's going to be based on the roots in your life, on how much you have developed roots to those around you, to those who have gone before you, to the perspective that you have created that allows you to weather th through storms like we talked about last week to go, you know what? I have a different perspective of, of where God is in the midst of this because I have taken the time to develop these roots. See, I don't, I don't know if you resonate with the first list of people in Hebrews 11. You're going, man, my life is good right now. If that's you, would you let others connect their roots to you? Would you look for others who need some encouragement, who need some support and go, you know what? I I'm riding high right now, I'm feeling good. I I I'll, I'll give that to you. And if you connect with the second list of people in Hebrews 11 and you're going, I'm, I'm hurting, I, I'm struggling to know, would you connect your roots to others, to those around you, to, to a life group maybe, to go, you know what, I need to, to invite others so I can see that God is still with me even when it feels like he may not be. And if that's you, I would encourage you, start with the premise, even with no results, that Jesus is with you. Pray like it and watch what happens when you release the outcome to him and you are willing just to see him in your midst. You see, your future faith grows from roots in the past. Let's pray together. Jesus, would you allow us to see you? Allow us to separate this, this desire that we have to get the right outcome, and instead to see that you are faithful to us in every circumstance, in every situation. So Jesus, may we free ourselves from the appearance, from trying to look the part, and instead explore the roots that you might want to develop. As we learn what you have already done to get ideas for what you wanna do next, and as we connect our, our roots to those around us in community, not in isolation, not trying to follow this by ourselves, but to realize that you are working in all kinds of ways around us. Would you allow us as a church community 
to develop deep roots, to see you, to know you, to experience you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.